Gold is a better way. The following program is spot Know the Truth Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip DeCourcy. Prayer is never rejected so long as we do not cease to pray. The chief failure of prayer is its cessation. The chief failure in prayer lies with us. We fail to pray through to victory. When days, months, or even years go by without getting an answer to our prayers, it's tempting to give up. But today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy continues a study about the Lord's Prayer to remind us that victory is just around the corner. Jesus gave us clear instructions for communicating with our Heavenly Father, and one of the characteristics of a victorious prayer life is persistence. You can find this complete prayer series online at ktt.org. But now, with a message titled, Knocking on Heaven's Door, here's Philip DeCourcy. George Mueller was a Christian man who ran orphanages in England during the 19th century. By all accounts, he was a man of deep faith, a man of fervent prayer. In fact, to read his story is to learn that Mueller held to the belief and was held by the belief that you could do more once you'd prayed, but you couldn't do more until you'd prayed. His life is an abiding testimony to the fact that God hears and answers prayer. In fact, let me read you something from a diary entry in his journal where he chronicles his devotion to God in prayer. In November 1844, I began to pray for the conversion of five individuals. I prayed every day without a single intermission, whether sick or in health, on the land or on the sea, and whatever the pressure of my engagements... Eighteen months elapsed before the first of the five were converted. I thanked God and prayed on for the others. Five years elapsed, and then the second was converted. I thanked God for the second and prayed on for the other three. Day by day, I continued to pray for them, and six years passed before the third was converted. I thanked God for the three and went on praying for the other two. These two remained unconverted. That was 1844. 36 years after that, we find another entry in his diary, which tells us that those two men have not yet come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says this, I hope in God, I pray on and look for the answer. They are not converted yet, but they will be. Folks, do you know this? In 1897, 52 years after he began to pray, those two men were finally converted after Muller himself had passed off the scene of time and entered upon his eternal reward. I think George Mueller teaches us what the Lord Jesus Christ taught his disciples in Luke chapter 18, that we ought always to pray and not to faint. This man's praying was marked by tremendous and tenacious trust in God. Here was a man who knew how to pray and not to faint. 
Now, that raises a question for me, and I'm sure that raises a question for you. How is that possible? How does one continue to trustfully and tenaciously lay hold of God over 52 years for a certain answer to prayer? Well, I think the Lord Jesus Christ gives us an answer to that question in his uh, continued teaching on prayer to his disciples here in Luke chapter 11. I want to return now to the content and the context of the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to see in the verses that follow the Lord's Prayer in Luke 11 that the Lord Jesus Christ unveils for us the secret of sustained and victorious praying. Remember, the context to the Lord's Prayer is that the disciples had been observing the Lord Jesus at prayer. And they had concluded that there was a correlation between the prayers of Jesus Christ before God and the power of Jesus Christ before men. In fact, they had watched him pray throughout whole evenings. Back in chapter 6 and verse 12, we're told that before he selected his disciples, that the Lord Jesus Christ spent an evening in prayer. Luke 6, verse 12, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out into the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. These disciples had observed the Lord Jesus Christ pray. And I'm sure they had asked themselves this question. During these times, when he can give himself completely to prayer for a whole evening, what does he say? And what makes him stay? And that was an intriguing question for them because in contrast to the praying of the Lord Jesus Christ, when they went before God, their words were short and their prayers were not very long. And so they pluck up the courage to ask the Lord Jesus Christ the question, Lord, will you teach us to pray like you pray? We want to pray properly and we want to pray persistently. And so that's what we've got here in Luke chapter 11. The Lord Jesus Christ tells us in the Lord's Prayer how to pray properly. And then in what follows, he tells us how to pray persistently. In fact, in the discourse of Luke 11, the Lord Jesus Christ answers three questions concerning prayer. He answers the question of what ought we to pray. He answers the question of how ought we to pray. And he answers the question of why should we continue to pray. He offers them a resource for prayer in verses 1 through 4, and then he offers them a reason to pray in verses 5 through 13. Or we could put it another way, in the Lord's Prayer, we have a model for praying, and in these two parables that follow the Lord's Prayer, we have motivation for praying. And so we want to look at these two parables that follow the Lord's Prayer. As the Lord Jesus Christ teaches his disciples the necessity of praying through to victory. He wants them to understand that as they go to God in prayer, that God is all too willing to embrace their passion and their persistency in prayer. In fact, the whole intent of verse 5 following is that the Lord Jesus Christ wants to motivate them to be more earnest and more expectant in prayer. And I trust that that is the end result, that after listening to the Lord Jesus Christ teach his disciples how to pray, that you and I will be taught how to pray more effectively, more earnestly, and more expectantly. Because too often when we go before God, we're short of words and our prayers are not very long. 
We kind of know what we ought to pray for, and we may know how we ought to pray, but there are things going on in our lives that cause us to question, why should we continue to pray? Sometimes it's not easy to stick to our guns in, in spiritual warfare. All too quickly, the wind can go out of the seal of our prayer life. Maybe it's due to a delayed answer or a failed project that chokes our faith to the degree that we cannot continue to pray any longer. Perhaps we've got health problems that affect us emotionally and physically, and we realize that prayer is a labor, and therefore it's too much to handle. Or perhaps um, we're dealing with family or friendship issues that are breaking apart, and we're exhausted We're at an emotional low tide, and it makes us feel like prayer doesn't work. Because if God hasn't come through on such an all-important issue as relationships, what makes us think He's going to come through in any other issue? And so there are factors always at work in our life causing us to question why we should continue to pray. We know we ought to pray, and we know how to pray. Jesus gave us a prayer to follow, but why should we continue to go before God in prayer? And added to those challenges that I've just mentioned, you and I are living in a culture that won't wait for anything. You and I are living in a culture where the click of a mouse gets it done. In fact, I was talking to a a mother in our congregation just recently who was telling me just how much she, she loves her boys. She uh, sets the dinner before them. She cleans up behind them. And, and she says, probably to a fault, Pastor, because the other day one of them used his cell phone to call me from the bedroom to order a Diet Coke. Now, there's a guy who doesn't like to be put out. Huh? Can you imagine that? But that's our culture. We're all capable of that. Imagine using a cell phone to call your mother in the kitchen to bring you up a Coke. She didn't, by the way. Good for her. (laughs) You and I are facing challenges. We live in a culture that militates against persistence in anything. And so I think the teaching of Jesus Christ here is so vital for us, so that behind closed doors in our own homes, where we bear our own heart before God about the things that are personal to us, we will continue to do it just like George Mueller, day in, day out, in sickness and in health. Listen to this quote from P.T. Forsyth. He says this, I think this is a great quote, prayer is never rejected so long as we do not cease to pray. Isn't that good? Prayer is never rejected so long as we do not cease to pray. He goes on to say this, the chief failure of prayer is its cessation. The chief failure in prayer lies with us. We fail to pray through to victory. Now, let's look at this passage. There are three things I want us to see. I want us to look, first of all, at the parable. That's verses 5 through 8. Then we're going to look at the promise that comes out of the parable verses 9 and 10. Then we're going to see a proof that reinforces the promise in verses 11 through 13. Let's quickly look at the parable. After having taught his disciples about how they ought to pray, the Lord Jesus Christ goes on here to encourage them to continue to pray persistently. And he underscores that reality by the means of a parable. 
verse 5. And he said to them, Which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, Friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey, and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, Do not trouble me, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. Jesus again speaking, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. The Lord Jesus Christ draws his disciples a picture. It's a picture of a Palestinian family where everything has been buttoned down for the night. The house has been locked and everyone is fast asleep. Suddenly, there is loud and long banging on the door. And what they discover is that there's a friend or a neighbor standing at the door asking for bread because he has found himself in a bind. He has been visited unexpectedly by another friend from out of town. He has come late into the night. There's no food left. And yet that culture has a strong expectation for generous hospitality when needed. It ought to be shown at all times and in all circumstances to visitors. Failure to do so would be a black mark against a man. But since most food is prepared daily and there are no preservatives, by a certain time of the day, there's no food. It's got to be baked fresh in the morning. Someone might have some food, but normally most homes don't. And therefore, this guy has nothing in the cupboard and he's... uh, in a jam, and he appeals to his friend late at night to give him three loaves of bread. But the man is hesitant. You see, the animals are usually brought in at night into this one-room home. And if they'll be in one part of the room, and the children and the father and mother will be in another part of that room. The door will be closed, and there'll be a bar that will go through certain holes to uh, close the door for the evening. And so this man is hesitant and reluctant to give this man bread because he doesn't want to rattle the animals and he doesn't want to wake the children and he doesn't want to go through the whole regiment of bedding everybody down for the night again. And there are many parents, even in our culture, that can identify with that. Imagine it when you've got animals in one corner and sleeping children in another. And you're trying to get up and give some bread to a neighbor. And you know that door's going to make noise. Those, those uh, animals are going to move. And the children are going to be awakened. And you're in for a long night. And so this guy at first says, no, I'm hesitant to do that. I can't do that. The Lord Jesus Christ in this parable is telling a story that his listeners can readily identify with. And he puts them in this situation where they can appreciate the desperation of the man outside because he's got to meet his social obligations and he wants to treat his friend well who has probably journeyed in the evening when the sun isn't just as hot and has got there at a late hour. And yet they can identify with the man who's reluctant on the inside because you know what? Everything's been buttoned down and nailed down and he doesn't want to have to undo all that. The Lord Jesus tells us that eventually the man does give his friend what he needs and more, according to verse 8. And this is the point of the parable. The point of the parable is persistence. 
Because the Lord Jesus Christ tells us in verse 8, I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, he recognizes that that's a neighbor and that's a friend and he has an obligation. But he's reluctant. Not because he's not a friend. He is a friend, but he's reluctant because uh, it's just going to awaken everybody. But the Lord Jesus Christ says he eventually does give in because the guy outside won't give in either. He needs to have three loaves. And the Lord Jesus Christ tells us he's persistent about it. And this man's reluctance is overcome and the need is met and the custom is kept and a friend is refreshed. That's the point of the story, persistence. Persistence in this case paid off in the face of a reluctant friend. Now, I want you to step back for a moment because we need to understand the purpose of a parable. Parable has usually one point. Don't be reading too much into or out of a parable. Don't build theology on parables. Don't read too much into the customs or the circumstances. It's usually one point. And the point of this story is persistence. And usually a parable will make its point either by comparison or by contrast. And Jesus often used parables to explain a spiritual reality by means of a homely insight or illustration. And that human story is set alongside a spiritual truth. And in comparing them or in contrasting, the Lord Jesus Christ is saying, well, the thing I'm talking about is like this, or the thing I'm talking about is not like this. The Lord Jesus Christ has got one point in this parable. It's persistence. And he's using this human story alongside a spiritual reality to make a point And the point is a contrast, not a comparison. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to contrast the man inside the house to God. But he wants us to know that it is not a comparison. It's a contrast. He's saying God isn't like a reluctant friend that you have to badger and beat into submission before he answers your prayer. In fact, Jesus, by means of this story and the contrast that is in it, is saying God is the opposite. Think about it, guys, he's saying. If this guy, by persistence, won over a reluctant friend, I want you to imagine you're standing in heaven's door and you're rapping, and you need to understand that the person on the other side of the door is not a reluctant friend. He's a heavenly friend who's already predisposed to answer, to meet your need. That's the point of the parable. In fact, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to be trustful and tenacious in their praying because God is not like a sleeping friend who needs to be awakened or cajoled into giving you something you're asking from him. Jesus is teaching us by way of contrast through this homely insight and this homely illustration that God is not a deity who needs space, who does not wish to be disturbed. That's why Jesus will go on to make this application. We'll get to it in a moment, but just understand my point. Verse 9, having told the story, made the contrast between a reluctant friend and a heavenly friend who is decidedly in our favor. Jesus said, so I say to you, ask, seek, knock, because God's not like him. And if persistence wins over a reluctant friend, imagine the impact of persistence in the face of a heavenly friend who is already committed to our good. That's the point of the story. 
in the light of God's character and commitment to us, how much more should we shamelessly call upon our heavenly Father and friend to respond to our needs? In fact, the word persistence here is a Greek word that only appears once in the New Testament right here. It's a rather difficult word to translate. It carries the idea of persistence, but it probably would be better translated shamelessness, affrontery, boldness. That's the kind of idea. This guy standing at the door shamelessly in the middle of the night asking his friend for three loaves of bread. His friend is reluctant given the context. He doesn't give him the bread because he's his friend. He gives him the bread because this guy's not going anywhere till he gets the bread. And Jesus' point is this. Imagine how much more you and I should shamelessly call upon our heavenly friend to meet our needs. Folks, here's the point. It's a very simple point. This parable is an encouragement to prayer. I want to encourage you to pray. I want you to catch a second wind regarding something you're about to give up on because you feel God isn't listening or God hasn't heard. Jesus is encouraging us to come before the God of heaven and earth with a certain bold shamelessness and effrontery and to come to him and ask and to seek and to knock with the expectation, if we ask, we will receive. If we seek, we will find. If we knock, God will open the door to us. Amen. This is an encouragement to pray, not to faint. If there's a loved one that needs saving, pray on. If there's a need that needs meeting, pray on. If there's a question that hasn't been answered, pray on. If there's a healing that's necessary, pray on. That it might be God's will, because he's not a reluctant friend. We are told in Hebrews 4, verse 16, to come boldly, boldly before the throne of grace. You know what that word boldly means? It means bold frankness. In fact, it was used in that day for free speech. Free speech. God invites us to come freely into his court before his throne and to speak what's on our heart and to know that he who has given up his son for us will with him freely give us all things. That's Philip DeCourcy extolling the benefits of persistent prayer. You're listening to Know the Truth, and we hope you've been encouraged by this message called Knocking on Heaven's Door. At Know the Truth, Philip invites you to study the Bible with him weekdays and on weekends as he shares the tools for victorious Christian living. As believers, we're not alone in life. We can take our every need to God in prayer anytime, anywhere. In addition to these clear and convicting Bible messages, we also offer monthly resources to equip you in your daily pursuit of God. And today we're offering a deeply encouraging devotional by speaker and author Paul Tripp titled, A Shelter in the Time of Storm. If you're struggling today, find refuge in God as you read through 52 meditations on Psalm 27. You won't want to miss receiving this honest and insightful book that demonstrates how God's goodness and grace enters into our times of trouble. Receive this devotional when you give to the ministry of Know the Truth, and thanks for remembering that we depend on the financial support of our listeners. Now, maybe you've also been thinking about becoming a monthly Truth Ambassador. We need to add more listeners like you to this team of generous friends. 
You can start your monthly gift at $25 or more, knowing that each month you're helping to deliver God's Word through Know the Truth. Please don't delay. Sign up to become a monthly Truth Ambassador. And whether you sign up to give a monthly gift or you make a one-time donation, be sure to request Paul Tripp's devotional called A Shelter in the Time of Storm. Reach out to us by phone at 888-644-8811 or give online at ktt.org. And if you prefer, you can write to us at Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our series titled, For Those Who Haven't Got a Prayer. We'll see you back here Tuesday on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This is June Hunt from Hope for the Heart. Tragedy, loss, and injustice can cause deepest disappointment and huge pain. But there's another side to the story. Life's disappointments don't have to dominate your world. Join us right here and tell a friend. You can discover how to live a life anchored in God's hope. Weekday mornings at 930 on AM 780 WAVA. Messages that inspire, that give hope, life, and spiritual transformation, and a safe place that you can grow in your faith. I'm Bob Lapine from Family Life Today, and if this sounds like something you could use, visit ChristianRadio.com. ChristianRadio.com is a place where you can find hope when it seems like there is none. Now all of your favorite Christian radio stations can go with you wherever you go. Visit online today at ChristianRadio.com or download the free mobile app. We see you.